0: Disaster
1: for you and sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch. I did it, but I'm not.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, shorttime podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton the Goblety Spooker Green. <laughs>
1: And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of
2: fighting fools, Zach the Cowpoke Barlow. This is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. So, we're going to talk about some of the biggest shows, matches, rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for a couple of hours.
0: And
1: if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry, because as you'll soon find out, I don't either. So, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today?
2: Uh, well, before we get into our, our main show, I, I think it's it's impossible to do a wrestling podcast and talk about wrestling right now without mentioning kind of the big thing in, in wrestling that has gone beyond, you know, just the, the WWE world. And it's kind of making some national headlines, uh... John Oliver even did a did a segment about it, and it's uh, WWE's crown jewel event. Uh, that's their pay per view, the second pay per view that they have done uh, this year in Saudi Arabia. First one uh, got a got a little bit of backlash because you know women weren't allowed to compete at the event, um, and women were only allowed to go to the event if they were you know with a male supervisor. Um, so, WWE is going back again for Crown Jewel, but because of the recent developments out of Su- Saudi Arabia, especially uh, with the death of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, uh, you know, there have been a lot of people uh, calling for the WWE to pull out of that event uh, and, and not hold it. And so, uh, that's actually coming up on November 2nd, so that'll be uh, tomorrow, actually. We're joined by Joe Galley. And, and Joe, uh, for those of you who maybe are fans of the NWA, you may have heard his voice especially very recently on, uh, on the NWA 70th anniversary show. Uh, Joe is, uh, did commentary for that. You've done some commentary for some other wrestling events. Uh, and so I just wanted to bring you on here and get kind of your inside perspective because there is, there is something big, you know, kind of happening in the wrestling world that's, that's making some news, making a lot of people talk. Well, Uh, that's
0: the thing about the wrestling world right now. I mean, everything is just exploding when you look at the 70th anniversary show or you look at something like All In and you just see this explosion. It's like sort of a a rebirth of, of territory days. Plus, you already have some of these big monster companies that are seeing so much success, not just your WWEs, but also New Japan, their expansion into... Uh, The United States as well. They reopened their L.A. dojo. I know plenty of guys who are working and training over in that area there. And so I think you're seeing this gigantic resurgence of professional wrestling really throughout the world right now as a form of entertainment that a lot of people want to be a part of. And now it's expanded all the way uh, to the Middle East, which is which is what we're talking about today.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, wrestling kind of comes in waves, you know, in the 80s, it was a little popular, started kind of, you know, fading in the early 90s and got a big resurgence in the mid 90s. And I think maybe we're seeing that again, like you said. Uh, but it's, it's this event that kind of has, you know, has people talking not out, like outside the wrestling world. In fact, uh, you know, John Oliver did a did a story about it on his uh, last week tonight, talking about Crown Jewel. Uh, it's made, you know, news headlines. So, you know, tell me, tell us a little bit about the, a little bit of the backstory with the WWE and Saudi Arabia, because I know that's something that's kind of been, you know, a working relationship for a little while. And then just kind of, it's actually been get several years. How we got here. It's,
0: it's been several years. Uh, I know, uh, a couple of folks that work behind the scenes and they've been taking multiple trips, uh, to the Middle East. Uh, not just to Saudi Arabia, but to other places where they've been kind of farming things out and working things out and leading to these really huge blockbuster events, which uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. I mean, he's all behind it. He's all behind this. What honestly is a really big propaganda machine for them. I don't know if you saw their their last uh, WWE special from Saudi Arabia. And yeah. uh, it was as, as a professional journalist and you're watching that, not only are you getting the cool wrestling, it's a great show and it's really cool to see you know Triple H and The Undertaker go at it one more time. But when you're absolutely hammered between matches about how good Saudi Arabia is and how progressive it is and all the changes they've made, when you know in actuality, there's a lot of human rights violations that are happening in that country still to this day. I mean yeah. they still will kill homosexuals for being homosexuals and I think I think this is, this is a bit of a misstep for WWE and I think it's really showing that they're willing to chase a dollar more than they are willing to hold up to principles that I think that they they think are the foundation for their company and the foundation for a lot of the fans where you know this is an American brand it's they've all have been they've been about the stars and stripes forever uh, and it's not just from a character perspective when you look at a guy like, you know, Kurt Angle or Hacksaw Jim Duggan and then you look at the other side of the, the the heels where you have the Iron Sheik or something like that. Like, yes, they always had those tropes, but on top of that, they've always been very proud to be that American company and do the flyovers when they have WrestleMania and it's an outdoor event or anything like that. They do the, you know, the national anthem before every show and stuff like that, but when they start doing this stuff and they're actually getting like, you know, uh, millions and millions of dollars, I think there was some estimate that they got paid somewhere between 30 and 45 million dollars for their last show in Saudi Arabia. And I mean, it's one of those things where money talks. And right now it's speaking volumes when you have journalists that are uh, allegedly being torn to pieces uh, for speaking out against some of those human rights violations. And then, you know, you got the upper management with WWE sort of shrugging their shoulders, going, "Well, it is what it is," and uh, I, I think that that's a shame.
2: I, I did I did watch their last event in Saudi Arabia, and and you made a good point because the whole time, you know, and and this happens all the time where they'll you know they'll take a break to kind of you know talk about you know the city they're in and everything, but at that last event, I mean, there were. I, I, there was actually, I remember seeing it online. There was a drinking game: it was, take a drink every time they mentioned that they're in Saudi Arabia, because they were kind of hammering it. And then they had this like five-minute-long segment about how you know it's so progressive and everything. And you know, not to get too much on a soapbox, but you know, it's kind of like just because you gave women to, the right to drive a few months ago, it <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that you've you know made this big sweeping change and that you're progressive. By giving people a right they should have already had in the first place
0: uh, right yeah and it, it's it look WWE is not alone i mean america in itself has had a contentious relationship with the the saudi arabia uh for for decades now where they've used the military might of the united states to do stuff in the Middle East that really Saudi Arabia just really kind of wants to get done. And it comes down to them having uh, control of so much of the oil market, which is so we're, we're so reliant on out here. I mean, if you look at the relationships and what we've done, not only in Saudi Arabia, but in Iran and especially in Iraq, which we've invaded twice and we're still there right now, there's always this weird, strained relationship and partnership with, with the United States. And the people who are running those countries, which, in all honesty, a lot of the decisions we're making just end up hurting a lot of the regular people that are there.
2: They had already gotten into some hot water the first time they went there. You know, one, because, you know, women were not allowed to wrestle at the show, which they still mm-hmm. aren't. And and so that was one thing. And now it's almost like... Well, well, the timing is, is... It's just not good, especially with what's happened with, you know, Jamal Khashoggi. And so it's mm-hmm. just... It, it just... It seems like you know, not the right move, especially at this time. And and they've kind of been downplaying it from what I've been hearing. They haven't been talking about it. And right. in fact, it was just, you know, as, as of today when we're recording this, you know, last night they had their all-women's pay-per-view. Uh, what I've heard when they mentioned Crown Jewel, the crowd started
0: booing. Right. And – here's the thing is I, unfortunately that crown jewel creates the big shadow over evolution, which evolution was a very good show. I watched it from bell to bell. Uh, and it was, it's way past due for a show like that. And to have another show that's, you know, just a couple weeks away and that getting so much negative attention, I think it really hurts them as a brand knowing that like, It's kind of like having your cake and eating it too. I mean, it's so, and it's sad. I think it's, it's, it's bad for all of those female wrestlers that have waited for this moment and it's, it should be getting all the attention and praise that it does. But then now everybody's talking about, well, you did this just because of the backlash they got from their first trip to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh,
2: And of course you also have some of the male wrestlers there's been a lot of rumors that some of them are not going to appear on crown jewel uh it's obviously something we'll have to wait and see Uh, there's been rumors about john cena daniel bryan not wanting to be on the show um that we won't really know until until it happens i guess uh it'll Mm -hmm. definitely be something interesting something to watch that has implications beyond
0: just the wrestling world right it really does and look there are promotions all over the place that are going into other markets all the time. Uh, I called the NWA uh, heavyweight match between Colt Cabana and Nick Aldis in Wenzhou, China. Uh, So they, everybody's trying to get a piece of this market that's emerging throughout the world. And, you know, you you could look at it from another angle too, where WWE doesn't want to give up on this show because maybe that exposure to American entertainment and American values that you would get over in Saudi Arabia. If you look at it from that perspective, it could actually maybe help turn the tide on some of those things that are happening over there and help change the minds of some of the folks that are there. But it has to take them a moment to kind of step up and say, you know, this, this is what we believe in. We know that you don't believe in this but we feel like these are important values to us and and just share and start a dialogue there too. So there is a problem kind of both ways. I feel like you get snake bit either way. If you pull the plug on crown jewel, then you've ruined that relationship and you've lost an opportunity to expose people to new ideas that they might not be thinking of. Whereas if you you keep going with it, you're get the backlash that they are getting now. So there that's another way of thinking about it too is like either way it's going to look bad for wwe
2: yeah it's definitely not an envious position to be in um so yeah we'll just have to see what happens uh joe i want to thank you for your insider perspective thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to to join us today oh no problem
0: Any time for you buddy all right thanks you got any anything coming up for you in the wrestling world you want to plug uh, you know what? I'm so happy to say that this is the first time in a long time I get to put my feet up and not have to talk about anything, but uh, I will tell you one thing. After having some long conversations with uh, David Lagana and, and Billy Corgan with the NWA, uh, that NWA 70th anniversary show was an enormous success, and you can expect to see more coming down from them. Uh, there's nothing that I can announce now, but I tell you, you just keep your eyes on social media, and you're going to be really happy with what you see in the in the coming weeks and coming months.
2: Awesome, thank you. And we will probably look to get your perspective on on some of the the resurgence of the NWA coming up in the very near future. So, uh, thank you for for taking some time out and and talking with us.
1: Wow, that was a uh, really great and insightful. Uh, thanks so much to Joe Galley for coming on the show and for uh, really giving us some insight into that.
2: So, uh, you know, now that we've talked about that, let's get into our regularly scheduled programming here. So, quick recap: What we've talked about the past uh, few weeks here on Turnbuckle Training. You know, first we started out with Bad Blood, nineteen ninety-seven, the start of the Attitude Era. We did uh, SummerSlam, two thousand two, kind of the start of the Ruthless Aggression Era. So, we've talked a lot about WWE, WWF, um, but you know, it's not all about them. Uh, You know, there are other companies out there, and really the Second biggest wrestling promotion Ever uh, Would be world championship wrestling WCW WWF's main competitor um, During the The late 90s Whoa whoa um, and whoa really, Peyton
1: You just said that they were the biggest The second biggest wrestling company ever Are you telling me
2: that TNA's not giving the WWE A run for their money Um well based on the fact that TNA Tried to run a show on Mondays And then quickly gave up Uh I would say no <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, WCW, you know, for time, for 83 weeks, you know, beat the WWF in the ratings. Um, Damn. And really, WWF and WWE probably would not be what it is today without WCW. Now, of course, the WWF eventually won that ratings war, um, but a lot of people credit, you know, that heavy competition with the reason why they, you know, became... Uh, so successful and changed their style Because uh, they had to change their style To be competitive Right, and that is one thing
1: that I, I want to talk about In this episode, I what a question I have for you here Is that, I mean, do you think the reason they won the ratings war is because they were adaptive Whereas WCW um, is, is more old school
2: Well, see Here's the thing um, y- You know, you're looking at What we watched Now if you look at what we watched from WCW Versus what they used to be then you would see WCW was adaptive um, from what they used to be. They used to be much more old school, you know. Uh, No crazy gimmicks, no crazy matches. It was very much like old territory days, very Southern style. Um, But it's when Eric Bischoff came along uh, and eventually became the head booker, uh, the head of creative for WCW, that that started to change, and they started to get more that attitude because it was de- like it wasn't wwf who was the first person to do the trash tv kind of angles it was wcw it was oh, wow. uh, the, it was the nwo the new world order and so um, eric bischoff
1: um made an appearance in the the last show that we watched right in the last
2: episode um yeah. as the
1: manager for smackdown for raw okay
2: yeah, and that was also like kind of a big moment uh, for people, is was to see Eric Bischoff come out on Monday Night Raw and be announced as the general manager because he had been leading WCW for so long. So that was like, people were like crazy, couldn't believe that Eric Bischoff would, would show up on the WWF. So it really wasn't,
1: when the two companies merged, it feels like it was not as much a hostile takeover as it was a true merger.
2: Um... A, a, a little while later like cuz Eric Bischoff didn't come along until probably maybe a year later cuz WCW uh folds in like March of 2001 Eric Bischoff doesn't come along till 2002 so it's not until like a year later and a lot of the big stars don't come over till much later you know that was one problem with the with taking over the taking over WCW um they wanted to have all these great storylines where the the WCW wrestlers were feuding with the WWF wrestlers. The problem was none of the big talent came over because they had these big lucrative contracts that allowed them to sit out, so they oh. didn't get that. So that kind of screwed up their their invasion angle, which that's something we could do a whole episode about. Um, but in in actuality, you know, WCW was a was a big contender, and a lot of people didn't think WWF was going to win, but it was their adaptive strategy like you said and the continuing to adapt that made them so much better because after a while you know wcw adapted and then they got laid back they're like okay well we beat them for 83 weeks ah we're good and the problem was once wcw lost the rating like once raw won wcw never won again yep they what, once they slip again. it just it, downhill took, from it there. took it took one loss for, for them to it was and it's a combination of things uh it was people jumping ship you know people in the at first were jumping from WWF to WCW but after a while it was WCW guys going to d- the WWF because the WWF was always looked at kind of as the as the big leagues what? um and eventually they just couldn't keep up with people going and bad storylines bad booking decisions david arquette being the world heavyweight champion Etc. Yeah, that'll do it.
1: And so um, when it comes to also, I mean, I feel like as a wrestler in the WCW, and I feel like this comes out in this show a little bit, like you're kind of put in second place to wrestlers that have come over from the WWF. Um, so I feel like there is a lot of incentive to jump ship there because you're not being treated um, as equal if you came up in that company.
2: And that's why a lot of uh, people would leave. Uh, it, it was, that was the problem, is WCW and TNA ended up doing the exact same thing um, of relying too much on the established stars. Yes, if you're the WCW and Hulk Hogan comes over, of course you are going to promote the hell out of him. But you also have to create your own stars. And that was the thing, is WCW did have some people that were that came up through their ranks that they were never given that big spot. Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio. All of those guys could have been built into big stars by WCW, but they were always, you know, lower on the card when they were really talented and and in fact were built into gigantic stars in the WWE. Exactly. You know, once they left, they ended up being used better by the WWF. Uh, and and so, you know, there's a myriad of reasons, but eventually, you know, that's what happens. Uh, the WWF buys out WCW, and so, therefore, the WWE has the entire tape library of WCW. Um, and, and another important note to make is that, you know, TV was really important you know they were both on on monday nights so they were both on at the same time you couldn't dvr one show and watch it later you know you were either watching one or the other or you were flipping back and forth so tv shows were really important and i think another reason that they struggled is that wcw didn't put enough focus on pay per view content Whereas WWF, I feel like, really went all out with their pay-per-views. WCW doesn't have that many really great pay-per-views. That's always been a, a complaint with them. Is you know They did put on some great Monday Nitros, but their pay-per-views are kind of few and far between. This one that we're about to talk about now, uh, Spring Stampede 1999, is considered to be one of the better ones of the late 90s but I still feel that there are some aspects where where the show kind of the, kind yeah. of falters.
1: And I I was kind of afraid when we were watching when I was watching this I was like man I'm going to be dunking on the WCW this show and I really think I thought that you might not not agree with me on some of my dunking
2: decisions but um I have several complaints. All right. Do you want to get into those now or or get into them as we go? Uh,
1: uh, We can just sort of touch on them as we go, but I will briefly uh, touch on one of them now. I think that they had the the lighting guy from the X-Files come into the stadium and do their, their camera work for them because it's very dark. It's almost eerie. I don't know why that is. I don't know what the WWE is doing differently to where they're shooting their matches differently. But the WCW match looks almost spooky at times.
2: Yeah, I feel like some of the production value wasn't that great. Uh, case in point, you could never really hear the ring announcer. Oh my god! In the whole no, show. you couldn't. And they never really got it figured out.
1: There were times where you couldn't hear the fucking commentary team.
2: Yeah there was a there was a lot of audio issues. I felt like. Uh, luckily, and one thing I will give credit to this show is this show is almost all wrestling. I, and, and in fact, it's, it's, there are no non-wrestling segments in the whole show. The only times we break away from a match are to go to a replay or like a package, like a promo package. Th- that's it. We, I mean, we don't even go to the commentary team other than at the very start of the show and then right before the main event.
1: So is that something, is that something you credit them for? Because kind I kind of take points back
2: for that myself. Uh, I mean, I think you could go either way. Uh, you know, I, I think they tried to focus on that on their on Nitro, and then I think also they tried to what they tried to showcase that they were better at than the WWE and on, in a lot of ways, they were better at this was their wrestling was better, which I think was partly because of good talent. Um, but no, I, I I see how you could take that as a, as a negative.
1: Yeah, I just felt like the, you know, like we talked about, uh, back in our first episode with Shawn Michaels and the Hell in a Cell and the story that a match tells, I feel like a lot of these matches are missing story.
2: Yeah. And, and, and if, if they're not, you know, they're not really giving, even the promo packages don't tell us much about the story that's going on. So you kind of just have to feel it out for yourself um let's go ahead and get into it uh, apparently they're in tacoma washington but it's western i've never been to tacoma but i don't think of it as western Cause uh, they've got like straw and station wagons and stuff yeah that i think that's the stampede angle right i yeah i guess i guess um We've got Mike Tanay, Tony Schiavone, and Bobby Heenan on commentary. Uh, Tony Schiavone is like the voice of WCW. Uh, Bobby Heenan came over from WWF, and Mike Tanay is the other guy. Uh, <laughs> eventually the, the voice of TNA. What did you think of the commentary team here? They sucked. I did not care for the commentary team.
1: There are times in the show with just like way too much dead air. The commentary yeah. team's tripping over themselves to try to say things. Uh, constantly, like, getting words and phrases wrong, which I get it with the podcasting that we do. I do that shit all the time. But, like, goddamn, y'all are supposed to be professional commentators here. Well, here's the thing.
2: Tony Schiavone uh, has long been known to never have really been a wrestling fan. He always wanted to do more sports stuff, but he ended up, that's where he got his job, was doing wrestling. And he's all right. Uh, Bobby Heenan is more of a manager, Um less so of a commentator and then and then Mike Tanay is just kind of bland in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and that's the uh, thing is that like there are no real at least as far as I can tell, no faces and heels among the commentators. The commentators here are really just calling the matches more so than they are adding flavor to the matches like we see in the WWE or yeah. at this time Bob, the WWF.
2: Bobby Heenan typically plays the heel. He does it a little bit here, but, you know, it's, it, you know they're not bringing much extra to it. I, I agree with that. Um, there are actually times in the match where I or in the show where I almost thought that they were arguing with each other. Like legitimately arguing with yeah, each other. I got that vibe, too. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird thing. I've always heard that apparently Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone didn't like each other. Um, but, uh, I digress. Probably too much about the commentary team. I do kind of like the way they start off, and they kind of, you know, do a lot of teasing for the show and talk about the matches coming up, almost like a sports show. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool, kind of a different way of doing things.
1: Yeah, no, that was, that was interesting. I agree with you there. But, you know, I think that it, the commentary is a big part of this. Like, it is, in some ways, more important than the wrestling because, I, 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 it's hard to say more important. It is equally as important as the wrestling, I would say. Because they are the ones communicating directly with the audience and that's where a lot of your hype is coming from. That's where, like, when you get excited, when they get excited, right?
2: And these guys are flaccid through most of the show. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, We go ahead and start off with our first match. We have Blitzkrieg versus Juventud Guerrera. And uh, to its credit, WCW uh, pretty much not so much created. I mean, they created the concept or the name of cruiserweight in wrestling. Um, But they're they're kind of known for putting those high-flyer, luchador kind of wrestlers... On the map, you know, that's not something that people were really doing. ECW did it a little bit, but, you know, ECW didn't have a wide national television deal. So WCW is like the first person to put guys like that uh, on the air. The problem is they didn't really use them right too much. They were mostly used to open up shows. Uh, But, you know, a lot of those guys who eventually become popular in the WWE... Came from WCW.
1: I would like to talk for just a moment about Blitzkrieg, who is a German from space? Um, what? Wait,
2: where do you get that he's from space?
1: They say, because they're talking about where he's from, the commentary team is, and they say, from the Cosmos. And oh. And then one of them's like, yeah, I hear that's right next to Parts Unknown. So, um... We talk about, you know, some of the silly wrestler stories a lot. But um, I do feel that Space German is a bit much. You know what, though? Um, I will say he seems talented. He seems like yeah. like he does some cool fucking moves. Here's some sick kicks. But uh, yeah. I do think that costume design is important. And I think that the costume department failed him.
2: Yeah. I, and both of these guys are very talented. This is a good way to start out uh, a pay-per-view, uh, kind of like with the SummerSlam one. Uh, very high-impact uh, athleticism here. Uh, they they do explain that, uh, that the winner of this match will face the Cruiserweight Champion tomorrow night on Nitro, which I think is really funny to have a pay-per-view match that's promoting your TV show. But <laughs> it goes back to show how important the TV show was and how important the TV ratings were. Um, the announcers are having a very hard time calling this match, like you mentioned there's a lot of dead air. I think it's that they don't really know what's going on whenever things get too fast, they don't really know what the moves are
1: and things don't really get that fast in the w c w um from what I observed here and yeah
2: it,
1: it was it was an it was a cool match, but I mean, when you have just like a rejected power ranger running around. It does get a little bit ridiculous.
2: Yeah. The announcers also kind of spend a lot of time talking about the main event, which is something they have in common with the WWF.
1: Yes, absolutely. Now, one thing I will say about a, a difference I noticed here with the WCW, the announced team is much less negative, which I actually don't like. I, I, I think that it's fun when the announced team is like shit-talking the wrestlers to a certain yeah. degree. But here they seem very neutral on, on where they
2: stand on these guys. Yeah, that's true. Um they do some pretty cool stuff here. Uh there's a there's a point where um where Blitzkrieg is coming off the top rope to the outside and Hoovy dropkicks him right in the stomach in midair. Yeah, that was that was dope. Uh he does stuff that I don't even really know how to call. Like he, he springboards off one rope, jumps to the other rope, and then comes off the top rope. Um there's this weird moment where they kind of botch something where Hoobie puts Blitzkrieg on the top rope, and then Blitzkrieg reverses, and they just kind of fall on top of each other. And then Blitzkrieg goes back up and does some sort of flippy move that I don't, I can't call, but he misses it. And, uh, and so Hoovy tries to do the Hoobie driver, gets rolled up. So then Blitzkrieg puts him back on the top rope and, uh, and pulls him down with a body scissors for a near fall. Puts him back on the top rope again, and this time it's Hoovy who nails the Hoovy driver off the top rope for the 1-2-3. Mike Tanay will say, what a great way to start to kick off Spring Stampede. I couldn't agree more. Uh, The the botches and stuff kind of bump it down a little bit, so I might give this like a 3.75.
1: Yeah, so I think that this showcases sort of a through line for the show and my personal feelings about the WCW that, They are, they've got a lot of big impact moments in the fight, right? Like, you've got a lot of big spots that the wrestlers are doing that are impressive. But the moments between those spots are really slow and boring. And so the momentum isn't there the way that we see it in the WWE, especially in the Ruthless Aggression Era, where momentum is extremely high. And I know that is still, we're in 99 here, that's yet to come. But just seeing the way it's moving, and seeing the way that they're running their matches, to me, it's no surprise that they lost out the comp- to the competition.
2: Yeah. And I will say, if we look at it, you know, you haven't really seen a... It's hard to compare WCW 1999 when you haven't really seen much WWF 1999. But I will say, from what I know, the styles are very different. For one, you know, WWF does not have, like, the high-flyer stuff in 1999, like this over here. Um... But their main eventers are kind of different, you know, whereas you got Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair main eventing on this show, you got Austin and Rock main eventing in the WWF. Right. Um, uh, So our next match, you know, we will definitely talk about this a lot more in our next episode. Um, ECW um, was basically the third promotion at the time. It was never to the level of WWF or WCW. It's more of an independent promotion. Uh, focuses on a lot more hardcore, gritty style, um, but has a big cult following. And that did influence a lot of what the WWF and WCW were doing at the time with like some more hardcore matches and with some of their wrestlers because ECW wrestlers were coming over to WWF and WCW. Actually, a little bit more to WCW, and that's noticeable right here when we have... Hardcore hack, as he's called in WCW, he was called Sandman in ECW, and he is much more known by that name. So we have Sandman and Bam Bam Bigelow, Bam Bam Bigelow also being a big uh, ECW legend, also uh, kind of a WWF legend. Both wrestling here in a hardcore match, and to me, it feels kind of like they're just trying to be ECW. Uh, because they also show a, a replay of a match where they have with Raven, who's another bi- – someone who came over from ECW that was a big star. So to me, this almost felt like WCW's attempt at being ECW, and I think that it did not go very well. No, and so
1: Bam Bam Bigelow, I know that he – I've heard his name before, so he either went on
2: to be in the WWE or he came from there. What, what's his deal? He came from there. So he was in the WWF first, then he went to ECW, and then he kind of finished out his career in WCW. Uh, One of, you know, a handful of people who've wrestled in all three. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow is is probably one of the greatest big man wrestlers, or or at least one of the most underrated, because, you know, he was never a world champion anywhere but in ECW. Um, But, you know, he can do stuff that, you know, is unbelievable for a guy of his size Um, oh yeah absolutely so i've always felt that bam bam bigelow uh has never really gotten the credit that he deserves uh he had some really great matches in ecw primarily um i just don't think either of these guys were used too well here Uh, hardcore hack comes out with chastity who is apparently raven's sister Uh, and the commentators are saying really gross things about her you know again they're not completely different from the WWF. You
1: know what I will say, though? Uh, on the whole, I'm going to go ahead and say less horny. The show was less horny. And oh, it was much less horny. Less horny and less racist as well. So there I give WCW high marks.
2: Yeah. Well, that is, I mean, that, I mean, it has to count for something. Um, The problem I felt with, with this match is that, you know, normally kind of a hardcore match would be really fun and interesting and fun to watch with a bunch of high spots but to me it felt like these guys just like just couldn't figure each other out like they just didn't have any chemistry with each other it just everything felt off about this one I I agree and it
1: was like we had this cart full of bullshit that just got wheeled in and then they just threw all the bullshit in the ring and that's not really I think how weapon use should work
2: Yeah, there's a point in this match where Bam Bam Bigelow just picks up a trash can and he hits Hack with it. Then he picks up a cooking sheet. He hits him with it. Then he hits him with a broom. Then he hits him with a salad bowl. And, like, it's just like, okay. Like, it's not fun to just watch you pick up objects and hit somebody with them. Uh, And, yeah, there's not a lot of great spots that really make up for it. I mean, uh, Hack jumps off the the station wagon and puts himself through a table, which is kind of cool. It's just like... It felt slow and plodding, and I don't know what it was about this. You know, Sandman is not a, like a great technical wrestler who's going to put on clinics. So if you're going to have Sandman, he's got to do crazy shit. Like, he's got to, like, wrap himself up in barbed wire and shit. So he doesn't really work in WCW, and he definitely did not work in the WWE. Um, and so this, you know, this was just a match. It's like... ECW can definitely do hardcore. Nobody does hardcore like them. WWF can do it in a way that's that's fun and interesting. To me, it's almost like you can overdo hardcore. I agree. You can you can have a match that's you know. It's almost like the more weapons you get, the worse it is.
1: I absolutely agree, and I think that. And this again, to me, is a fault of the WCW on a on a greater level and it is that you go from 0 to
2: 100, and you have nowhere to go from there. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. There's, there's a later match on here that's no disqualification that doesn't get super weapon-heavy, but is much um, done much better than this one. Because this one just felt like, hey, let's see how many weird things we can throw. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, there was this point, though, I thought it was funny with the commentary team, where uh, I believe that it's hack jumps off of the the turnbuckle and lands on a ladder and he goes he's using his body as a weapon and I'm like well yeah dude that's kind of the fucking point
2: yeah I also thought it was really funny how like he would put the ladder on top of Bigelow and then he would jump on the ladder on top of Bigelow which to me seems like it would hurt you more I agree with that why don't you put him on top of the ladder see I would be a much better wrestler apparently (laughs) <laughs> um,
1: There's it, one Vin- point where he just like Puts himself through a table Like he doesn't even The other guy doesn't put him through a table He just jumps off and goes through a table For no reason yeah.
2: And I don't know it just, it, it just felt out of sync It just felt like something was off They it, just weren't on the same page It
1: seems like they just got the wrong idea Of what a hardcore match Should be uh, which, which doesn't
2: make any sense because both of these guys have done plenty of hardcore matches. So you'd think they would know what to do. Right. But maybe maybe it's just some guys just don't work well together as wrestlers. And that happens all the time. There are just people who work well with just about anybody, but you put them together and it's just, it just sucks, you know? And I, sometimes that just happens, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can I can definitely see that being the case here because, like you said, it just feels like the pieces are not fitting together properly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, we eventually Bigelow wins uh, when he when he slams hack through the table and his head hit the fire extinguisher. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, damn, um, I didn't. Um, so I gave it two out of five stars. I just mm, didn't care for it. <laughs> um, one of the commentators, I don't remember who. Uh, I think I think it's uh, I think it's Bobby Heenan, they say, come on, fans, don't try this in your backyard. And Bobby Heenan says, try it in your living room. It's more fun. Yeah. I did really like that. That
1: was was pretty funny. Uh, Though there was also a commentary line that I thought
2: was especially dumb where
1: he sprays chastity with the the fire extinguisher. And he's like, I want to know what her state is. Uh, He got her pretty good with that fire extinguisher as if you can somehow like wound someone by spraying them with a fire extinguisher.
2: Oh, man, she's so unflammable right now. (laughs) Uh, We move on to our next match. Um, This one, they they say that that they actually mentioned. They said this was a last-minute addition, and so they basically bury the match before it even starts. Yeah, (laughs) and
1: boy, does it deserve it.
2: Yeah, well, okay, this is actually... Scotty Riggs is the one person on this whole show I have no idea who he is. Like I I've I, never heard of Scotty Riggs. I was curious if maybe he later became Scotty 2 Hotty. He did not. Damn it. Different Scotty 2 Scotty Hotty. Scotty 2 Hotty's already wrestling. Okay. Uh, Scotty's are rivals
1: in my in my book.
2: That's my headcanon. Uh, he's got this weird sign gimmick. Um he was apparently used to be a part of Raven's Flock, which is a big kind of through line to the whole show uh Raven who you'll see a little bit later is like this dark like cult leader kind of guy. Uh who has a really cool gimmick, but he has lots of people in his cult. So Scotty Riggs used to be part of that. Um and they're like you know all these people who have left the flock have gained a lot of confidence. So Riggs like looks at the camera and says, "God, I look good." And it's like, "Okay." He's basically there's a wrestler called Rick Rude who used, his whole gimmick was I'm so hot and like he's, he's basically just copying that. Yeah,
1: and that's what I, I had here is that he uh, seems
2: like the WCW version of Shawn Michaels. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Mikey Whipwreck comes out. I've always I've always really liked Mikey Whipwreck. He's uh he was in ECW. And originally started out as part of the ring crew. And then he was like, hey, can I, like, wrestle a match? And they are like, sure. And he eventually won the world title. But I just, I I even wrote down he's a fantastic wrestler. But boy,
1: does he have a fun shirt choice.
2: Yeah, he has horrible fashion sense. That was what he, he always wore, like, these, like, tie-dye shirts with, like, like elves on them. He's wearing
1: a goddamn do-rag and a dragon shirt.
2: Yeah. I mean I love he... It.
1: he dressed like a middle schooler whose mom just gave up on like trying to dress them themselves.
2: Yeah. He's dressed like a middle schooler who's like you know, got way into like rap music. And and bad rap music. Got way <laughs> too too into like uh, like G unit.
1: And also, weirdly Naruto.
2: Yes. <laughs> He's a lot of very specific people. Uh <laughs> But he's a really good wrestler, and, you know, the crowd actually is, like, chanting boring during this match, but I actually thought this was a surprisingly good match. The only problem was it was so damn short. Can we actually talk about the crowd for a second? Because that is one huge difference
1: between WCW and WWE. The crowd here, like, everyone's sitting down and, like, stone-faced, and it's not until much later in the show that they actually
2: get excited for anything. Um, Well, it's because, okay, here's the thing. I think they put too many small-time matches on too early. Like, that's the problem is, like, you can't, like... When you're putting together a wrestling show, you can't go from, like, 0 to 100. Like, 0 being your least important match. Like, you you can't do it, like, in reverse order of importance. You have to, like, sprinkle, like, some big matches in there to keep people going through the whole thing. Uh, The opening match was really good, and it was kind of there, but not too much. And then you have two matches back-to-back that are just like, man, why do I care? Um, actually, as we'll find out, I, I think we really have three matches back-to-back that people don't really care about, but we'll get there. Yeah, in just a minute. for sure we will. <laughs> um, I, I also thought the ending was so weird, because like, I didn't think that that was going to be the ending. Scotty Riggs just, like, hits a flying forearm and pins him. And I was like, that's that's how we finished him? That's how we beat him? Yeah,
1: I thought also, like, these WCW matches are shorter than WWE or WWF matches as well. They're short.
2: Well, that's the thing. And, and well, and the, the reason that that kind of happens is because there are nine matches in here. Nine matches yeah. in two and a half hours. With no other stuff in it. So it's, I mean, they are kind of going through it pretty quick. Which is not,
1: for me, a complaint, really, because I'm, I'm, I I'm. kind of like the shorter matches. I kind of like, like, let's go ahead and get to the fucking point here. Um, yeah. But at the
2: same time, they feel long sometimes. Yeah. Even though it, they're pretty it, short. And this one wasn't that short. I looked it up, and it was like seven and a half minutes. But it felt. it felt rushed. Maybe it was because of that out-of-nowhere ending. Yeah, I think that would probably be it. That was weird. Um, I gave it three out of five stars. It was hard to rank because it was so short. I didn't think there was anything wrong with the match other than the ending. Uh, I thought it was actually pretty good wrestling, but uh, it was just an odd ending. Um, Here's the thing about WCW. Here's where I think they excel. Uh, Quality of wrestling matches. Talent. I think they have both of those done really well where i think they fail a lot is in their storytelling and their storylines and in their gimmicks yes the characters need work there are a lot of people with bad gimmicks and the ones that don't have bad gimmicks were people who were you know doing well somewhere else um and pretty much the biggest gimmick or story of all time in wcw is the nwo the new world order uh, so it's it's 1997, and Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Hulk Hogan, all people coming over from the WWF, start as the New World Order. They say that they're taking over WCW, they're going to run it, they're going to get win all the belts, make them the NWO world title belts, have their own pay-per-views. It's a good storyline, and it's, it's the reason why WWF starts doing what they do. The problem is... It lasted too long. It lasted until the end of the company. So it lasted from 1997 to 2001, the NWO storyline. Damn. And everybody joined. That was the problem. So basically what they had to do was they had to create two NWOs to make it to make people wrestle each other. Because it was like, oh well, my none God. of these guys can wrestle because they're all part of the same team. So they have two NWOs. They have the normal NWO. I think they call it NWO Hollywood, which is... The Hogan, the Hulk Hogan is in charge of, and then they have NWO Wolfpack, which Kevin Nash is in charge of. Uh, here we see our first shot of that. Disco Inferno was apparently a member of the NWO Wolfpack. Disco Inferno is a character I can't even begin to explain. He has oh a disco gimmick. I just hate him.
1: And in <laughs> their flash,
2: in the, in their recap, apparently he made fun of Conan's rapping. I don't really know. <sighs> And
1: it, Co- can we talk about how Conan is just Mexican John Cena? But, which well, I guess fair, he first. Co- so I guess that John Cena, John Cena is, white is Conan
2: is, is white Conan. Yes. Also, make sure you say Conan and not Conan because that sounds like Conan O'Brien or the Barbarian. Either one, Conan the Barbarian. Yes. Um. um Co- Conan, Conan gets on the mic, and cuts a promo in Spanish. Um, I, disco Inferno's interest, he comes out inside, like, they put him inside a disco ball, like, <laughs> as he walks out. This is very funny. Um, the announcers say that Disco has apparently been attacking Conan as a masked wrestler called La Cucaracha. So, wait a minute. Did you say something about this show not being racist? Okay. You know what? good point. <laughs> I I didn't I
1: I didn't really um I didn't factor in La Cucaracha, but now that you now that you mention it you're you're uh, right.
2: A lot of the problem with WCW is their storylines are needlessly complicated. Uh and that was this one because I'm like scratching my head because okay, apparently Disco is a part of the NWO Wolfpack. C- Conan is not part of the NWO. No, Conan used to be part of the Wolfpack. And so they're fighting, i don't think Conan's a part of the new n w o so uh, basically, like I even wrote down here who wasn't in the n w o yeah, there were so many people, and then they brought the n w o over to w w e so technically it lasted until two thousand two
1: that's what I was going to ask you day.
2: though because I've heard of the n w o in the context of the w w e
1: so so they did actually bring that story element over when they only when they swallowed only for the a
2: little while when when so in The WWE, like I mentioned, a lot of the WCW guys didn't come over until much later. So in 2002, Hogan, Nash, and Hall came over, and they basically just pretended like none of the old NWO stuff really ever happened, and it was just always the three of them. So they come out, and they start attacking Stone Cold and The Rock, which everyone thought was setting up for the classic showdown of Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold, which never happened because both of their egos are too big. But we did get Hogan versus The Rock. Um, And then they continued the NWO storyline in the WWE and started putting people in the NWO who never even wrestled in WCW. (laughs) So, like, really, like, I think you could probably either do NWO, like, I think every single wrestler, like, that wrestled in a certain age was either a part of the NWO or feuded with the NWO at some point.
1: But that's, with the WCW, it almost feels like they find something and they're like, this works. We're never not gonna do it.
2: Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think that that is a- absolutely true, and and sometimes you just
1: gotta you gotta let go.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the WWF had a problem of doing storylines too quick, but the WCW had a problem of, of dragging dragging them out. Um, and I mean, you could have had the NWO last the whole time. You just didn't have to add everybody to it. Like, not everybody had to be a part of it, uh, and. Everyone who wasn't a part of it, like, the few people who weren't, they didn't get, like, airtime. So we basically haven't talked about this match, probably because I don't want to. Um, (laughs) It just wasn't good.
1: Though I do want to give a visual of Disco Inferno, just because, you know, like, uh, some of our listeners might not be be watching along with us. This man has a sparkly-ass cowboy hat and a sparkly-ass, like, jacket. And really in no way is, like, like with a name like Disco Inferno, you would think, like, oh, he looks very 70s or something, but he doesn't. He just wears a sparkly cowboy hat.
2: And he had, like, on camo pants. Yes, and he had camo pants on. Which was a a popular choice in this pay-per-view, I should add. I, you you know, you're right. But also, think about it. I feel like camo pants were actually very popular in 1999. Yeah, in 1999, camo pants were pretty ubiquitous. I mean, you know, I'd be a liar if I said I never had any camo pants.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I shouldn't malign camo pants entirely in the context of the
2: 90s. Yeah. Uh... But you know, I do think it's funny because one of the things that w c w always used to make fun of the w w e for was their they never grew up as far as like the kind of characters they'd have, like you know the eighties and early nineties wrestling was all about characters, and the w w f oh god, were egregious with how many gimmicks were just blank occupation is like <laughs> yeah, this wrestler is a garbage man (laughs) this wrestler is a police officer and i mean wcw is doing it too and much later so i don't know (laughs) yeah no it's um
1: it is a problem it's sort of like mike Rowe made all your
2: wrestlers (laughs) so conan eventually wins uh by hitting the chart buster which is a disco's move and he wins uh wasn't as bad as the hardcore match, but very similar in that it was very slow and boring. So I gave it a two and a half out of five stars.
1: Yeah, it was. I would agree. It was kind of not as bad as the hardcore, but still pretty shitty.
2: Yep. So our next match is our Cruiserweight Championship match. Um, you know, th- this person will obviously face Whovitu Guerrera the following night on Nitro. Um, we got Billy Kidman versus Ray Mysterio Jr who looks a little bit different here than he did when we saw him in uh, SummerSlam 2002 um, yes. He's not, yes he he's does. Not, very young well that I mean he's always kind of always kind of looked like a young guy and he's not wearing his mask which <sighs> that was always a problem for a lot of people is that they made him lose his mask. He didn't really want to. Um, the The mask for Mexican wrestlers is very important to them. And they do have ma- like mask matches where someone will have to lose their mask, but it's typically against another masked wrestler. So the fact that he lost it against Kevin Nash, people didn't really like. And um, he, you're technically not supposed to put your mask back on after you lose it, but...
1: Wait, wait, wait. He was- back this up for me, because I, I'm a little confused. So, so... Rey Mysterio, the WCW... I I thought he just didn't wear a mask at this point. I thought the mask was something that was added when he moved over to the
2: WWF, but so he He, did
1: have a mask before this.
2: He originally wrestled uh, with a mask um, in ECW and then in WCW until he lost it in a match against Kevin Nash. Um, Wasn't a very popular decision, and they... uh, He asked for permission to put his mask back on when he went to WWE, and they granted it, and Basically, you know, they—it's kind of like a soft retcon. Like, yeah, know, WWE is never going to post a picture of when he wrestled without a mask. <clears throat> They're never going to talk about it. That even now, like, he's never taken off his mask since. there have been time, like, there was a there was a time where he did. They would show him take his mask off, but they would always shoot him from behind or something like that. So. Yeah, it's 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 a soft retcon, and you know people people didn't really like it because the mask is very important to to Mexican wrestling, and uh,
1: and it's just fucking cool. Like, yeah. he looks way cooler. Like, he looks super badass with the mask on. But that's and I realize it's only you know like a couple of years between when we've seen Ray and now. But he looks he looks way more kid like here. He looks like. Just
2: And, he, and he's kind of ha- always had that look, and I think that's part of why <laughs> you don't really like to have him wear a mask. But uh, regardless, he's also called Rey Mysterio Jr. here. That used to be his name originally because his uncle was the original Rey Mysterio. Uh, he drops the Jr. when he goes to, uh, to the WWE, I guess just to make it simpler. Um... So, and Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio are actually the tag team champions at that at this point. So that adds kind of another element to this story, where you got the tag champs wrestling each other. So it's kind of the whole thing is about um, you know how these guys respect each other, and you know they start off with a handshake, and they you know they start doing some back and forth. The announcers can't call a damn thing they're doing. Oh my god, that it was so bad! Like I
1: genuinely thought I was like, oh. Somehow their audio got undone, and they're going to come back in a second and be like, oh, sorry, that was a technical problem.
2: I think but, they're just bad at calling those kinds of Yeah, they were, the were just Ray bad. Match. They just don't know what to call them. Um, uh, but yeah, this was a really good match. Um, They eventually go, go to the outside um, um, with some nice head scissors and body scissors moves. Uh, Mysterio does like a moonsault off the guardrail and Kidman catches him and throws him into the crowd but or tries to throw him in the crowd and Mysterio reverses it shoves him in the guardrail Mysterio hits a hurricane rana on him and it looks like he hits his own head on the steps I don't know if you saw that uh, I didn't kinda, actually the announcers talk about it a little bit but he hits his head pretty hard I think legitimately because he, he's mad and he kicks the steps like he hits his head hard and it it shows in the rest of the match. He looks kind of out of it. Um, it so but I did not realize move. that. Yeah. Um. Uh, 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 lots of lots of big moves here. Um, Kidman nails a a like a shooting star press off the apron onto the floor. Um, lots of near falls. We do another uh, spot where Kidman jumps off the top rope and gets caught in midair with a drop kick. Uh, what do you think about these two guys?
1: Oh, I I really did enjoy this match. It was very cool. Um and obviously Rey Mysterio is extremely talented uh,
2: and goes on to have a fantastic career. I've always been a big fan of Billy Kidman. He's kind of another underrated guy. You know, he goes on and wrestles in the WWE for a little while and then backs off and then he became a writer and I think he's still a writer to this day. Um So, I mean, he's obviously, uh, must have just been more what he was into. Uh, He's also a, I don't think he was, a. maybe he wasn't a member just yet, but at some point he becomes a member of Raven's Flock.
1: But I I will say that this does exemplify what I was talking about earlier. WCW, good at those big spots, but not so good at the Um, in-between. And then, uh, additionally, do you feel like uh, there are a lot more pin attempts in WCW wrestling?
2: Yeah, it seems like it. There were a lot of near falls. I, I do think that that is kind of a mark of cruiserweight wrestling, where you see lots of pinfall attempts, and you know, we haven't really watched a lot of cruiserweight wrestling. You know, we watched the Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle match. That wasn't so much cruiserweight, uh, so you know, as we watch that, I think maybe you'll notice that a little bit. It's that quick pace that, you know, anything can happen kind of feel. So I think that's a little bit about what you're seeing here. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, Mysterio tries for this move that he does where he, he does like a body scissors and then kind of flips up and grabs him by the head and brings him down uh, for a bulldog. He tries that off the top rope, which is apparently the move that won him the title. Uh, but Kidman manages to uh, to push him off, hits a bulldog of his own. Mysterio still kicks out. Um, and then uh, this is before he's doing the 619. That was his WWE move. So, uh... It's uh Hurricane Rana, you know, where he does a head scissors into a pin that uh is his finisher here. He and that's the movie he ends up winning with, uh coming with a Hurricane Rana off the top rope for the three count. Now, I thought this was really great. Um Ray Mysterio once again stealing the show, uh as he did in our, our in our last episode, as he will continue to do. Throughout his career, I gave it a four and a half out of five.
1: Yeah, absolutely phenomenal on the part of Rey Mysterio. And, and I think that, not to, not to go back and talk about this too much, but I just think that, that him versus Kurt Angle was so good because they're just so fantastic, both of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I love this. I, I thought that it was great to see, see him wrestling here a little bit earlier in his career. Um, and clearly he's been talented the whole time.
2: Absolutely. You know, he's another one who came from ECW originally, uh, got picked up there, where he really got to hone his craft. Uh, so, you know, he's one of the the kind of group of wrestlers that's gone to all the big three. And um, honestly, it seems like those guys are always the ones that are that are the best, the best wrestlers. And I mean, it makes sense. You know, when you can be successful in th- the three biggest wrestling companies in the 90s, I mean, of course you're the best of the best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So speaking of guys that have been in all three companies, uh, this next match uh, is between four guys who have all wrestled in ECW, WCW, and WWE. Uh, It's the Four Horsemen versus Ravens Flock. So the... There have been a few incarnations of the Four Horsemen, but they've always included Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, um, kind of the original wrestling stable, the original wrestling team. Um, So Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, of course, are in the group, and then also Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Um, Those guys will eventually, they came from ECW. They will eventually jump ship together, along with Eddie Guerrero and Perry Saturn, to the WWF in a big moment. Uh, in the Monday Night War. Um, we see a replay of Perry Saturn turning on Benoit Malenko to side with Raven. Um, and uh, Raven and Saturn eventually cost the Horsemen the tag team titles against Kidman and Mysterio. So this match, they don't mention it? I, d- I didn't hear them mention it. or If they did, it must have been a very fleeting mention. Uh, but if you look at the actual... Um, Click points in the WWE network. This is a Ravens rules match, which is basically just no DQ. Uh, that comes out in the match, but oh. I, I feel like I feel like it wasn't mentioned. It wasn't because I didn't know that at all. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, they end up using weapons and stuff, and don't get disqualified. Yeah, I just thought that was
1: normal wrestling nonsense. Um, I did not, yeah. I did not realize that. Uh, but I will say, so I think that it's really funny. Obviously, Four Horsemen a reference to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, uh which is supposed to be like super badass. But <laughs> they come out just wearing these like horse shirts. So it looks like they're just dudes that really like horses.
2: That's a good point. Yeah, they weren't so much menacing as they were like these really technically sound wrestlers. That was kind of always the thing with them, but And the crowd does not like them because they are chanting I was... Horsemen suck. Yeah, I, I want to say I'm surprised, but I'm not really because you know they have a much slower, more technical-based style, whereas Raven and Perry Saturn are kind of like, oh these cool, edgy, goth dudes that would be, even though they're the heels, they're kind of those heels that are very likable. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Raven's always been that way. Raven might be one of the most underrated wrestlers I can think of um, because he does have a pretty good career, He has a great career in ECW, probably one of the greatest wrestlers in ECW history. Has an okay run in WCW, and then does nothing once he comes to the WWE. Um, Perry Saturn, uh, his greatest claim to fame in the WWE was they gave him a gimmick where he fell in love with a mop named Moppy. Sounds like something that the WWE would do. And, uh, And Dean Malenko really doesn't do much in the WWE, eventually becomes like a road agent. Benoit obviously being the only one of these that becomes really, really successful in the WWE. Um so we get we get some that that's the thing is they don't mention that there's that it's no DQ, but you see it a lot. There's lots of double teaming and run ins and the tags don't really matter. Um Arn Anderson is coming out with uh with the horsemen and he attacks uh the opponents. The announcers also point out that Charles Robinson, is the referee, might be biased. Uh, Charles Robinson has always had this long association with Ric Flair. Uh, they used to call him L- Lil Nature, like as in Lil Nature Boy. Ah, Little Nature Boy. Because he's, he basically kind of looks like Ric Flair. He's just smaller. He's, he's always really been a big fan of Ric Flair, and he actually uh, once uh, wrestled a tag team match. He tagged with Ric Flair against Macho Man Randy Savage, and I'm not sure who Macho Man's partner was. It might have been his wife, Miss Elizabeth. I can't remember. But I do know they wrestled them, and Macho Man gave a diving elbow drop to Charles Robinson, the referee, and, like, collapsed his chest. (laughs) Oh, shit. Um, Like, like for real injured him? Yeah, for real injured him. God damn. Um, so Charles Robinson has long been associated with Ric Flair. In, in Ric Flair's uh, final WWE match, his retirement match, he is the, the referee. So just a little trivia there. Um, they do some good double team, Raven and Saturn. Uh, Raven puts Malenko on his shoulders, and Saturn comes off with a crossbody. Uh, Saturn attempts a Death Valley driver, but Benoit breaks it up. Uh, they, and then Malenko and Benoit did this cool double team where Malenko dropkicked Saturn into Benoit, who had a German suplex. Uh, Re- Benoit ends up tackling Raven right to the outside, and they just collapse onto the floor. Um, what'd you think of, the, of 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 these guys mixing it up? I, I mean, I thought it was a
1: it was a decent enough match, but you know my feelings on tag team matches uh, that I've talked about before that I think that most of the time they get really messy and like. I can't super tell what's going on all of the
2: time. There's not a whole lot of tag team matches, like just a traditional tag team match, not like a ladder match or anything, like just a straight-up tag team match that's really, really good. I can only think of a handful of examples, and hopefully we'll see some of those one day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's not, there's only so much good you can do with a tag match. Um, I thought these guys worked really well together. There was a lot of good storytelling. It kept my interest. Uh, Malenko uh, gives Raven an Irish whip but he reverses it into his even flow DDT but before he can get the pin Arn Anderson comes in with a chair puts it on Raven's face and Benoit comes off with a flying headbutt onto the chair on Raven and Milenko covers for the three count um, that was a cool way to end it but it's I don't know about you but that moment was a little bit like ugh yeah. like, of Benoit jumping off the top rope and landing face-first onto a steel chair. Yeah, it's a bit foreboding. It kind of makes you understand why things happen the way they happen with him.
1: Absolutely it does. Um, yeah, no, uh, I agree. Hindsight's twenty twenty.
2: He's actually, like, bleeding from the face, which... uh I can only assume, happened for real, because, uh, you know, why would he blade himself?
1: Yeah, speaking of which, I was a little bit curious about that, because even in our hardcore matches here, we have no blood. Uh, was the WCW, like, better about blading? Did they not do it as much?
2: I actually think, uh, I know at one point, I don't know for how long, but I'm pretty sure uh, blading, was ba- blading was absolutely banned for a time in WCW. Uh, and, in fact, there was a- one example uh, where some wrestlers got fired for it. Um oh wow. Uh so it may have still been banned um at this point. They may have never lifted that blood ban. Um which I don't have too much of a problem with. I mean No,
1: it's it's absolutely fine. I mean, blood can sell a match in a cool way sometimes, but it's not worth it.
2: Yeah. So I think he probably bled the hard way there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, ne- Next week, I I ended up giving that one um, a 4.25 out of 5. That one had just enough hardcore stuff in it. You know, it wasn't, like, trash like Bam Bam Bigelow and Sandman, but it did have, you know, the chair shot. It had uh, Saturn splashing himself through a table. So, you know, it it did enough without overdoing it, so I I thought that was pretty good. And it waited to the end to kind of be, like, a climax, so I, I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a fine match, but, you know,
1: at the end of the day, it is a tag team. And I, I just don't care for those, I guess. That's what I'm I'm learning about myself as we go through this. And one of the things I've learned is that I'm not a big fan of
2: tag team matches. And that's what this is all about. Um. So uh, we, next we see a replay of Ric Flair on Monday Nitro. Ric Flair is apparently the president of WCW at this time. I don't really remember that, but, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, um, they said that Ric Flair was the president of the company. I was like, wait, what?
2: Not for real, in story. Oh, for sure. The actual president was Ted Turner.
1: Really? Now, that would be fun if Ted Turner did sort of a Vince McMahon and became involved in the actual wrestling. I would
2: watch that. And that uh, pretty much never happened. I don't think he... He rarely ever showed up on TV. Um... Anyway, we get this replay where Ric Flair announces that Scott Hall has been stripped of the U.S. championship after he no-showed. That was a big thing with Scott Hall. He would just not show up uh, because he had a lot of drug and alcohol problems, so he would just vanish for a while. Um, So he gets stripped of the United States championship, and so Ric Flair announces that we're going to have a tournament. We see a replay that's very complicated of how that tournament shaked out. Yeah, it was very matter. Anyway, we get it to it, and the finals of this is Scott Steiner versus Booker T. I think this is your first uh, introduction to Scott Steiner outside of his uh, Yes, of his, great, <laughs> his great work on the mic. Uh, outside of that,
1: this is my first time seeing Steiner actually perform. And uh, so actually, so Steiner, was he a WCW guy that came to the WWE, or, or what's his deal?
2: Uh, other way around, actually, he uh, he was in the WWF came to WCW and then later went back to the WWE um, afterwards for a second run that went really nowhere and is that the same for Booker T as well? uh no, Booker started in WCW in fact, Booker T is probably the one of the best things wCW has ever done yeah he's, he's one great of the few stars that wCW really built. And they they he was one of the few people who was used pretty well in WCW. You know, he starts as a tag team with his brother, Stevie Ray. Eventually, he works up and becomes, like, the top guy in the company. I do kind of feel like the WWE misuses him a little bit. Um, I agree, because, you know, De- uh, Booker T won the WCW title five times while in WCW. Comes over to WWE in 2001. And he doesn't win a world title there until like 2007.
1: And I kind of feel like that might be because of racism.
2: And in fact, there is a whole thing to do with racism in Booker T. And racism and, you know, world championships. Other than The Rock, Booker T was their first world champion. Wow. Their first African American world champion. And he didn't win it until 2007. Wow. That is so. shameful. Scott Steiner was originally also a tag team with his brother Rick. And then Scott kind of breaks off on his own way and becomes, you know, kind of his own thing. Big Papa Pump, dyeing his hair bleach blonde and his goatee bleach blonde and probably taking a lot of steroids.
1: Uh I and what so one thing I absolutely love about this match is him going outside the ring at the beginning and this woman is just like yelling and touching him and it's so funny cuz it goes on for so long.
2: Here's what I wrote about this in my notes. This is a direct quote. Steiner lets some loud lady feel him up before the match while he yells at her boyfriend. <laughs> That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And he just walks around the the outside arguing with people and yelling at them <laughs> for like so long. And I'm like, how much of this,
1: how much of this is like his character and how much of this is just Scott Steiner being crazy as fuck? Cuz I know that he is.
2: Why ever would you think that? <laughs> Uh, and then and Booker comes out. So Steiner's also part of the NWO Wolfpack. Booker is the current television champion, which I think having two secondary titles is just a little much when you only have one show. But uh, I digress. Um, it, well, we finally start doing some back and forth. Booker Booker's really good here. He's he's doing a lot of aerial moves, which he kind of relaxes on later in his career. But he he gets an arm drag, a drop kick, sends Scott Steiner to the outside. There's a point in this match where Scott Steiner picks up a steel chair and just rams it into Booker's back, and there's no disqualification. And the announcers even say, hey, you don't want to get disqualified, or you won't win the title, but, like, nothing happens. So they, like, try to, like... Explain it by being like, "Oh, the referee's too scared of Scott Steiner to disqualify." Yeah, him.
1: which seems so. That was just sort of a fuck up on Steiner's part. It, it would. Appear. I I
2: don't really know.
1: I. Yeah, because that's what I'm curious about. Is like, you know, that the steel chairs are under the ring. If you're a crazy motherfucker like Scott Scott Steiner,
2: you know, what's to stop you from just going off script? Uh, nothing apparently. Um, eventually, uh, Scott Steiner pulls the referee in the way, and Booker knocks them both down. Um, Booker hits an axe kick, a flapjack, and a leg lariat, and tries to pin him, but the referee's still down. Um, eventually, Scott Steiner hits a Frankensteiner, which is... Uh, top rope hurricanrana, and it's named after him. I always forget that he invented the Frankensteiner, which is crazy, because it's not a move that you would think he would do. Yeah, that does sort of seem out of character for him. But uh, he invented the move, absolutely. Um, Steiner p- physically puts the ref over and like starts making the ref slap his hand down for the count, but Booker still kicks out. Um, something that was never really explained is Steiner pulls some sort of object out of his pants and tries to hit Booker with it. Yeah, what
1: the fuck was that? It was like a handkerchief,
2: and they're like, oh, who knows
1: what's wrapped up in that tape, and I really thought that was going to be a plot point, but
2: I guess not. Well, I mean, it kind of was a plot point, because that's how he won. Um, very lame ending. It was an okay match, but the ending was so lame. Uh, I gave it three out of five, I guess. We so, never find out what the object was. Do you
1: think, and this is something that I think has happened in almost all of these matches. I feel like there's less back and forth in, this, in these WCW matches. Like, it is one guy wailing on another guy, the, the that guy wails on that guy, and then, like, one of them pins. It, it's it's not a whole lot of, like, fluid back and forth that goes on um, as much as it is one person showboating then the other person showboating then one of those guys winning.
2: Yeah. I guess I, mean, I just feel
1: the matches are more formulaic than the WWE.
2: I can see that. And I will say part of it is it makes it kind of hard to predict who's going to win, but on the other hand, it does make it a little bit less exciting. Right, exactly. So I, I, can, I can definitely see that. And then
1: it also doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes because Either. we have a couple of points here where, like, the guy's getting wailed on, and then he turns it around and wins it in, like, one move, which just feels yeah. weird.
2: Yeah, I guess it's a way of trying to make it feel like anything can happen, and it, sometimes it just doesn't really work out. Uh, so we go to ringside really quickly for this WCW.com setup. It's so we get to see the early days of the internet. <laughs> Rey Mysterio is being interviewed by two fat guys at the at their like .dot com desk. Except for we can't hear anything they're you saying. We can't hear so a goddamn word of it. So we just stop.
1: Which, like, oh my god, like, y'all, get your shit together. What the
2: fuck? I just don't think they really focused a lot on their pay-per-views, and the the pay-per-views suffered because of that. And it's, you know, probably contributed to the downfall, because pay-per-views bring in a lot of money, and, you know, if your production quality sucks, it doesn't matter how good the show is.
1: And I feel like pay-per-views are a big thing To point back to, right? Like, the reason we do this show built mostly around pay-per-views is because they're these big moments. And without that, you know, it's hard to point to, I think, a specific weekly show. Like, there's just so many of them. But you can keep up with the pay-per-views and you can keep track of the big plot points that happen there. And so yeah. I think that not having that definitely makes your storytelling suffer a lot.
0: Mhm. Uh,
2: the next thing is a promo package for Goldberg versus Kevin Nash. Their promo packages are just like nothing. Like, like all we did it was just like highlights of them set to music. Um so we kind of have to rely on what the announcers say to go by for what the story is. We have Kevin Nash who's the leader of the NWO Wolfpack. He comes out with Lex Luger and Randy Savage's wife, Miss Elizabeth, um, versus Goldberg. Goldberg would be another one of those, like Booker T, that was a purely WCW creation. Um, And he's, you know, a lot of the reason for the success of WCW is people wanted to tune in and watch Goldberg kick the shit out of people.
1: Yeah, he he becomes very popular, uh, right?
2: Goldberg, what'd you say? I was saying,
1: I, my understanding is that he becomes very popular even in the
2: WWE, and he wins a lot. Yeah, well, he definitely wins a lot. In fact— uh, Possibly number, too much. The number is a little inflated, um, but it's—WCW he the WCW claims that he went on a 173 winning streak. It is not that much, but it's also somewhere in the 120 to 150 range. And that is boring. Uh, yeah, it kind of is. And it's also boring when he eventually lost. He eventually, And, and the other thing about it is, is Goldberg doesn't have a huge arsenal. He only just has a few moves. So that's fun to watch him run through people for a while, but he can't put on a long match, really. Um, he eventually does get beaten. He gets beaten by Kevin Nash, which they bring up here. Of course, it is important to note that he... Which, I again, this is where W really drops the ball. If someone's going to beat Goldberg, first of all, it should be someone who's really going to benefit from it, not Kevin Nash, who's a WWF reject. Right. And it definitely doesn't need to be Kevin Nash beats Goldberg because Scott Hall shocked him with a taser. A fucking taser. What,
1: what? That's so... Big. I, then again, though, like, do you think that it was one of those things where it was like, Sometimes when you have a big guy fall, like he, and he's going he's gonna to lose a match, then there has to be this element of foul play or whatever, of, of mischief, so that they can be like, oh, well, I didn't really lose.
2: Like, right, not I got hit with this, a taser. I
1: didn't really not, lose the match.
2: Not in this scenario, because when you have somebody win that many times, then whoever beats him, that's an opportunity to make a star. And doing that just cheapened it completely. Um, Goldberg only has a handful of pinfall losses in his. Career. He only had. I mean, he has less than ten pinfall losses in his whole career. Um, we we get to this match. I was a little bit dis. Actually, more than a little bit. I was very disappointed in this match because it had a lot of buildup, but it was again another really short one. It was the it was second shortest short. match on the whole show.
1: It was extremely um, short, and the crowd. But what I think is crazy, though is that this is the point. This, in the last half hour of a a two-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view, is when the crowd finally gets excited. People are finally standing up and making it look like
2: they're actually having a good time. And it's because they love Goldberg, but the problem is, I don't think we really got it. And again, it's because I don't think Goldberg could really last a whole long clinic. He just has his big moves, and that's basically all he did. He just did his big moves and won. Um, I yeah, I was disappointed. I gave it a star and a half, uh, just because it just it wasn't much to it, especially coming off being you know Kevin Nash being the guy who was the first person to beat Goldberg, and then Goldberg just runs to him like it's nothing. It's, I, it's horrible storytelling. Yeah, it was, it was super shitty. Um, we're now getting to our main event. We get a little bit of a promo package. Again, it's just highlights of the competitors. This is our four-corner match. It's four guys competing for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. First person to get a pinfall is the winner. Um, four guys special... competing for the AARP title. There we go. And we also have, you know, our resident senior citizen special referee, Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Like, you know, this is, you know, we have, basically, we have two guys that were, you know, WWF creations versus two people who were, well, one person who was a WCW creation in Diamond Dallas Page. Sting, not so much. Sting got popular from WCW. Um he's not a WWF creation, but he did wrestle in like the AWA and NWA, so he kinda got a little bit more popular there. So he's not really so much a WW or WCW created star. Really? Sting is always really interesting because Sting did not wrestle in the WWF until twenty fourteen, I think was the first time he showed up in the WWF.
1: Really? Now that yeah. is wild to me because I have always heard of Sting as being a popular wrestler.
2: Um, is, I thought it was a weird
1: the... move for him to go from uh, from reggae to this, but I mean, I guess it works. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Sting, Sting's a, car- a person whose character has really evolved because he used to be this beach blonde surfer dude, and he was just as popular then. But he became even more popular when he became the fucking crow.
1: Yeah, that and that's the face paint is the thing that I've always seen with him. I've ne- yeah. I've I've never heard of people refer to him outside of that gimmick, honestly.
2: Yeah, and that's where he becomes really popular. Uh, I I hate that he never wrestled. Actually, I kind of like that he waited forever to wrestle in in WWE. I just hate that it was such a bad run because he he only had four matches. He got injured right away. He lost half of his matches, and he won one of them from DQ. So he only got one pinfall victory in his whole WWE career. Uh, And he never got to wrestle The Undertaker, which is what people always wanted. And that's always a shame. Yeah, that would have been a good match, I think.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a
2: dream match people've always wanted but never happened. Um but I, I I think
1: we just so we're clear on who all's here because the, it is a large gang. I'm not sure if we if we mentioned it all. Um it is it is Mr. Hollywood Hogan, Ric Flair, Sting and um Mr. Page.
2: Yes. Yeah, um and so Ric Flair is coming in as the world champion. Um, he's in his dozenth or so reign as champion. Um, <sighs> and uh, th- the problem with this one is, it's, y- you're right, it's a lot of older guys wrestling. Um, in your fucking main event. Yeah, and that's the thing is WCW was always promoting these guys because they're like, hey, look what we stole from the WWF. And it's just, like, these
1: are not your best wrestlers. This is not the best show you can put on. You know, I think that, like, in the last show we watched, um, where you have Ric Flair in the penultimate match, that's fine. That's where you put your legacy guys. But your main
2: event needs to be exciting. Yeah, and this one wasn't that... It, it just There wasn't a lot going on to it, it you know... A fatal four or four way match is never gonna be that great. I think a, a three way match can be okay, but a four way basically what you get is you basically get like a like a Super Smash Brothers where you have just two people <laughs> fight at the same time. Yeah, and, and one person laming it out. Who in this situation was Paige? Yeah. Well, I will say this is something that surprised me, and I don't know how I feel about it. Was Hulk Hogan gets injured early in the match uh, when DDP puts him in a figure four around the ring post, and he walks out. And I was expecting him to come back and win. Yeah, was this an actual injury? I can't find a definite source, but according to Wikipedia, he did actually get injured in that match. So that would make a little bit more sense as to why he didn't come back and why it just kind of happened. And it, uh, apparently, I mean, it did seem kind of real when like Eric Bischoff comes out and they basically kind of stopped the match for a minute. So I guess that would kind of make more sense, and he's all Hogan has always been known to have some bad knee injuries. So
1: I have always wondered, like, what do you do in that situation if, like, Hogan was supposed to win, right? Like, that's not what happens here, but like, what if it was? What is the you other know? And I can't say the for the sure do? that
2: he wasn't supposed to win. I mean, the outcome honestly, was a bit odd. I'll say honestly. That. DDP winning was I was not expecting it and it kind of makes sense as to why there's not a lot of fanfare when he wins. Maybe because they weren't expecting it because you would think because they mentioned DDP's the only guy in the match who has never been world champion so you would expect kind of a bigger celebration once he wins but you know the show pretty much goes right out right off the air right, right.
1: after and that's um, when
2: I saw that because I was like, oh, he is clearly
1: the obvious outlier. Like, he's the guy that is not going to get shit here. Yeah.
2: Um, Although, whether it was because of the injury or not, I think DDP winning is the right choice. I agree. He's the youngest guy in there. He's the guy who doesn't have the title. He should have won. it. So whether they were forced into it by injury or not, I think. DDP winning is a good thing, but and up until
1: Um, Hogan got injured, this was really like a Hogan Flair face-off kind of like, and the other guys were just kind of in the background.
2: Yeah, and of course, there's a lot of history between Hogan and Flair, a lot of history between Flair and Sting, Uh, and again, you're right, DDP is kind of the outlier. Um, eventually, we uh, it's it's Randy Savage that turns out to be the difference maker here. Um. When Flair has Sting in the figure four leg lock, Sting manages to get to the ropes, but Savage instead just drags both of them to the middle of the ring, goes up top, and nails an elbow drop on Ric Flair. Uh, And then DDP gets up and uh, eventually is able to hit a diamond cutter on Flair and gets the win. Um, Yeah, so uh, for DDP's first world title reign, it kind of sucked, but I mean, I'm glad he won. I don't even really know how to rank this... I gave it three stars, but to me that almost feels like too much. Yeah, I'm going to give it a uh, clusterfuck.
1: That is the word I'm going to But
2: anything lower than that still feels like too low for a match with guys of this caliber. So, I don't know. That one's hard. It's hard to rank this one. But guys
1: of this caliber, like, they didn't really show out. You know? They didn't really put on a great main event. I think
2: that the Mysterio match is honestly the best match in this show. Oh, easily. Easily. Um yeah, I mean these matches are kind of hard to rank because I am looking at through my like WWE glasses, so you know it's not the same. Um, you know, I, I was told this was one of the best pay per views. It's not bad, but it, you know it didn't super wow me. Honestly. It is
1: middling, to be sure.
2: Yeah, um, but then again, apparently WCW has got a lot of hits and misses when it comes to comes to pay per views. Again. I think one of the biggest problems, a lot of complaints people always had, is that the WCW, their best thing that they had were their cruiserweights, and they, you know, kind of dropped the ball on them a little bit. Absolutely, um, because their cruiserweights were treated as just that; they're just treated as cruiserweights. They're like, okay, here's your cruiserweight match for the night. They weren't treated as like guys who could be main eventers. Um, so that was always a shame. But I mean, we did get a lot of good stuff out of it. They pushed the WWE to be better and they were able to kind of grow some talent that eventually went to the greener pastures and became really successful. So you do have to credit WCW for that.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting seeing this side of things um, and seeing what the competition looked like at the time. It's interesting to me that SmackDown does take over this role a little bit and some of the traits of the WCW continue to live on in that show. Um, But I think that it's much better. There.
2: Yeah, there was a point in time where they talked about making like Monday Nitro, like they were just gonna keep WCW going under the WWE brand, and it was gonna be like they'd have Monday Night Raw, and then they'd have Nitro on like another day, like that would that would take over for SmackDown, right? And they'd put all the WCW wrestlers on there, except for those guys didn't really come over. Booker T was really the only main one that jumped over. Uh, DDP jumped over, but they made him stalk Undertaker's wife. Um. <sighs> What? Yeah. So, you know, the WWE didn't know how to handle the WCW guys either.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing, is that, like, the the WCW, I think, has a tamer, lamer story basis. Right? But the WWE sometimes gets too nuts. And... So I can see where
2: where handling those guys was a bit of a problem. Yeah. Well, that about does it for this edition of Turnbuckle Training. Uh, We want to encourage you to watch along with us, uh, not this week, but next week. Uh, We'll be discussing, we'll we'll be moving from WCW. We're going to go into some ECW, and I think maybe, Zach, that you're going to enjoy that a little bit more. We're going to be talking about ECW Heat Wave 1998 considered to be one of, if not the best show ECW's ever put on. You'll get to see how the you know, younger brother of the two big guys uh, got along during the, during the late 90s.
1: We'll be watching on the WWE Network, but since Vince McMahon isn't signing our checks to promote their app, feel free to find that wherever you can.
2: We won't snitch. Uh, You can also keep up with us 24-7 on Twitter, at Turnbuckle Train. Um, And remember, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Please leave us a review if you can. Uh, Let us know how you're doing. Give us some feedback. You can also email us your feedback at turnbuckletraining at gmail.com. And don't forget, we also have another show called Feud Fight. and Me and Zach and our other friend, also named Zach, uh, talk about dumb shit. And uh, so give that a listen, too. Uh, without that podcast, we wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't have a really nice artwork courtesy of the other Zach. Thanks for listening.
0: It's me, Austin. Ooh. The Knuckles don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch.
1: I did it, but don't lie.